Thanks for tuning in to week three of the Good News series at City Church. We're honored and blessed to have you join us for our online Sunday experience. It's our intent to share God's word with the online viewers, our community, as well as our church family. If you live in the greater Savannah area and don't have a church home, we'd love for you to visit us at 1624 East 38th Street on the corner of 38th and B Road. Remember, resources like this are meant to be sub supplemental, so get yourself to church. All right, good morning. It is great to have all of you here with us today at City Church to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. I hope that excites you. I am glad that you made it here. Uh, if today is your first time to be with us, I want you to know that you have permission to talk back. Uh, that means that you can hoop, holler, yell, roll tide if you like. I grew up in Alabama, and Dylan and I were talking about the fact that literally in church, we would hear people who would, the pastor would say something good, and then you'd have somebody go, roll tide, preacher, roll tide. So I'm just saying, like, you're allowed to engage, because if you don't, I'm going to assume you're taking a nap, and then I go home depressed, and my wife is upset. It just ruins everything, so... Uh, the whole week is a mess, so uh, you're allowed to participate, but thank you guys for being with us, and uh, immediately following the service, we have uh, a really great opportunity for you. We have a photo booth set up, and we actually have uh, the Easter Bunny here on uh, site, and so you can get your picture taken with the Easter Bunny. Uh, get your kids out there uh, if you have children. If you don't, just go ahead and take a picture so that when you have kids, you can say, I met the Easter Bunny. I, I don't really know where this conversation is going. Let's move on. So, uh, but that's taking place immediately after service. And uh, we're in uh, our series where we've entitled Good News. And uh, today I want to share with you something that, uh, so let me, let me back up. This week, I got really sick, uh, and some of you know that. I tend to, even when I'm sick, I tend to work. Uh, I might not come into the office and you know, infect everybody, but me laying in bed is just not something that I do. Uh, there's, if, if, if I could not do any one thing in life, it would be sleep. Like, I just feel like I'm not being productive when I'm sleeping. Now, I know not everybody feels that way. My wife makes up for that emotion. She brings balance in the house. Uh, but uh, when I get sick, I just, I still feel like I've got to be doing something. I've got to be productive. And this week, I got so sick that for the first time, we'll celebrate 20 years of marriage in November. And for the first time in 20 years, I spent almost three days in bed. And so it was pretty, uh, it, it knocked me out. And uh, it was uh, just a sinus infection of some type. And I felt like um, uh, I had a, a face hugger right here. Uh, if you know what that is, uh, I won't get too far into my reference there. But I felt like it had a hold of me and there was nothing I could do. And I, I would pull out my laptop to work and I would just sit there and stare at it. And I realized that I, twice I turned it on and my battery just went dead. Uh, and so there, I really, I didn't get as much accomplished and I kept thinking, you know, God, why this week? Like, why would you allow this to happen? Not why would you do this, but why would you allow this to happen? It's Easter week. There's so much to do. And the only thing I was really able to do was spend extra time in the word, extra time just praying and preparing. And I want to tell you something. Uh, I, I, I don't want to be the hype man if, if, if this, today's message doesn't, you know, doesn't transform you, I want you to know one thing when you go home today. The pastor at this church was transformed by this word. This was really good for me. And last night I laid in bed uh, 
until after four o'clock in the morning just thinking about the truth of this message and uh, how powerful it is for my life. So my prayer uh, is that this word is one that will be good for you, whether you are you call City Church home, you're a guest with us today, your family that's visiting, or you're just still trying to figure out what, what your faith walk is. I really hope that what we dive into in just a moment will be an encouragement and hopefully uh, eye-opening or stirring within your own heart. And so where does this idea of good news come from? The, this idea of good news, it, it comes from literally the, this, uh, this word gospel, right? And so when we hear people talk about sharing the gospel, that word gospel translates out to, to literally mean the good news. And so when, when Jesus was resurrected and the word began to go beyond Jerusalem out into the world, right? Uh, the way that news traveled at that point was not through Twitter, right? It took people who knew what had happened and then they would travel. And when they got to that place, they would tell people about their account, if they saw it or if they heard about it. And so as word was spreading about Jesus being resurrected, it was unbelievable because this isn't something that can happen. And yet there were so many witnesses and people who first-hand account saw it and then were telling about it that this news was the best news. It was good news in a time when the world seemed to be just completely filled with war and destruction, right? So just during the time of Jesus's life, being raised from a, a child on up, he would have regularly on a, on a routine basis, seen people being crucified. Roman uh, soldiers would come into towns and uh, with something to prove, something to, 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 to try to, to make, you know, to instill fear in people, whatever it was. They'd come into towns and they would crucify everybody sometimes. So it wasn't uncommon to see hundreds and hundreds of crosses lining the road. All right. History even tells us that one of the towns that that neighbored uh, Jesus's uh, uh, time of growing up, that even there, that, that that happened. So Jesus, as a as a child, would have seen this type of uh, he, this would have been his world, if that makes sense. Okay. So so for news to come out that a king is risen, that the king that we've had, who has brought tyranny and hate and disgust onto the world, I mean taxation at somewhere between eighty and ninety. People are starving. They can't survive. And now there's a new king on the scene and he was crucified, but the, the tomb could not hold him. This, this was good news. Now, here's the assumption that I think I'm going to make today is that the number of people who are sitting in here today who would identify at least by, by conversation that they believe Jesus is resurrected probably largely outnumbers those of you in here who are skeptical or may not believe at all, all right? And, and that becomes the very crux of the message for today is how, how do we as Christians uh, uh, move from this place of believing in the resurrection of Jesus to being able to operate with the authority or the power of the resurrection. And you might say, you know, Pastor, I don't, I don't even know that I'm interested in that. I don't know how that works. Um, 
then at the end of the day, how is this good news for you? If there's not, if there's not at least curiosity of what it might look like to be a, a Christian who is uh, a leader in the faith, then, then what, what good is the good news for you? I, I want to take a look at Peter. And, and Peter, want, I, I just, I, as I began to study and I began to look at Peter, I began to see some things that I felt like uh, paralleled with, with even my own life and my own faith, right? So uh, uh, Peter, like any of the other uh, young Jewish men of the day would have been raised uh, in school to have memorized at the very minimum the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? And so he would have memorized those. There's a fair chance that he would have been allowed to stay in school all the way to the point of memorizing Genesis to Malachi. And, And yet the fact that he has gone home and is fishing Uh, tells us that he was not chosen by a rabbi to be a disciple. And so what what we start with is a guy who wasn't good enough for quote-unquote some type of exceptional ministry based on one of two things, either the relationships that he had, because the truth is so many times the jobs that we get in life and the the, uh, opportunities that we have uh, are a result of friendships and relationships that we have. So, so either it was he, he was not connected enough or he just didn't have the prowess. He, he didn't show the intelligence, the smarts that, that somebody felt like were needed. And so what did he do? He was told, go home and learn the family trade, which was fishing. And so our story for Peter begins with him out fishing and he's out fishing and, 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 and they're not catching anything. And he comes back in, the day has been long and they have wasted their time. There's two boats, the scripture says, and uh, Jesus shows up. And it says that Jesus gets into the boat and is like, hey, take, take me out a little bit. And so Peter, this was his boat, he climbs in, he goes out, and Jesus tells him to cast his nets again, right? And so if you're familiar with the story, he begins to bring in so much fish that the scripture says that the boat begins to sink. So he's yelling for the second boat. It comes out, they catch so much fish that it begins to sink and they come in, right? So Peter is in the place where he experiences a miracle. I, I, I think this is a really good place for people to step into the faith is when they are in the presence of something they just can't explain. And, and I don't know about you, but, but I, I will tell you that for me, I've had these moments in my life where I had something happen that I just simply could not explain. And in the moment I said, this has to be Jesus, that, that the only way that this is happening right now is because a, a creator is at work. And this is what happens with Peter. And in Luke chapter five, uh, he signals for the, his partners. It says that they come out to help and they came and filled both the boats and they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, listen, 
he fell down at Jesus's knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. The, 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 the conversion process in an individual's life is about recognizing your need for a savior. And you can't recognize your need for a savior if you cannot recognize who you are. And so coming to the place of salvation is about coming to this place where something is bigger than you in front of you and you identify, I am unworthy. And he drops to his knees and he says, depart, go away from me. I am a sinner, you are holy, you are righteous. I cannot save myself. You are the only one capable of this and I just cannot be in your presence. And let me tell you something. This is about the, this is a reflection of the nature of Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, all right, well, come find me when you're ready. Jesus instead tells him, follow me. And this language is so consistent as he is going out and inviting these, these, these people to be a part of the team. These men were, were people who were not good enough. They weren't following another rabbi. They had probably at some point had some type of, uh, of hope that they would themselves be able to be in the quote-unquote ministry, that they would themselves be rabbis one day. And, and the reason I argue that, and most scholars argue this, is because of how quick they were to identify Jesus as a rabbi and how quick they were to throw down what they had, leave what was there, and follow him. Because this was already something that they had had, had to have processed through. If I could be in the ministry, if I could serve God this way because I believe that the Messiah is coming, that, that if I could do that, I would do it. I would do it right here, right now. And Jesus says, follow me. And let me tell you something, Peter follows him. And, and as we go through the stories in the New Testament, Peter sees some pretty amazing things firsthand. We have multiple accounts of Peter being present when miracles are taking place, okay? We have accounts of him being in the presence of Jesus when people come and worship him. Right? He watches uh, uh, Mary Magdalene come and pour out uh, the, the, the perfume and to wash Jesus' feet with her hair. Like, like he's in the room when these, these, these things are happening that, that don't make sense. And Peter lives the next three years of his life like in the zone. Think about it for a moment. He has this salvation experience and then he ends up in community where things are rocking and rolling. And I think about so many of us, we get saved, right? We, we, get, we, we get saved, we come to know Jesus and we connect into a local church, a local ministry, something, and we're on fire. It's like, I, I want to be the first one there, the last one to leave. Things are happening, man. There's an excitement in the air. I finally found my niche. I mean, these things are, this is awesome. And, and so many, so many of us have had that experience as Christians where we have just been right there in, inside of the in crowd when it comes to ministry. 
we've, we've, been, we've been there. And Peter gets to this place where he's really comfortable, right? He's really comfortable. In fact, the scripture says that they gather together at the time of the Passover. And, and, and remember, they believe that he is the son of God. They believe that he is the Messiah. Not unlike a lot of people who call themselves Christians. They, he believes, along with the disciples and along with other believers, that miracles can take place. He sees them. He testifies about them. And here he is sitting in the room with Jesus. Remember, multitudes have followed Jesus around. And Peter gets to be in the room with him. And there's this, this, this comfortableness about being in his presence. And, and it's just like, yeah, man, it's just, it's easy to come in and, and be with him and to be around him. It says here in Luke chapter 22, verse 14, and when the hour came, he reclined at, uh, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And, and we just get this picture here at Passover, just before he's gonna break bread and share the wine, that they are comfortable. They are kicked back. And, and uh, can I just tell you, can I just tell you, uh, Jesus knows how to kick back, right? Uh, Carmen had a friend in high school who uh, he found out that uh, uh, he, he was listening to Carmen talk about some things they did at home. And he told Carmen, he's, he said, I just assumed that at your house, because her dad was a pastor, that all you guys did was sing hymns and read the Bible. I, I had no idea that you guys, you know, watched TV, you know. Uh, I, I want to tell you that being a believer and being a leader in the faith does not mean you don't know how to kick back and have a good time. It doesn't mean that you don't know how to relax. It doesn't mean that you're, you're dead to the world around you. And so here they are, they're in this place where things are really comfortable. And I love the way that Jesus does this type of stuff that he's about to do, because Jesus is about to wreck Peter, all right? Uh, and, and he does it, it's just, just super chill. It's like, what's up, man? Y'all doing all right? Everybody's good, you know? Let me tell you about what's about to happen, right? Let me, let me tell you about what's, what's fixing to take place and they're all like, no, 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 we know exactly what is about to go down. And this is what he says to them. He says, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And they're like, suffer? What do you, what do you mean, suffer? You're, you're, you're about to rise up an army. Like, we're going to be at your right hand. Like, this is the debate they are literally having is, is, is who's going to be at your, who's going to be the next in line. Like, like you're about to go, we're going to overthrow Rome and the world's never going to be the same again. And Jesus is talking about suffering. And this is, this is our, our first clue or really uh, our first clue that there's something off with Peter's faith, right? Because he does not understand this. And this is a result of having just I don't even want to use the word bad doctrine, but just, just wrong doctrine. You know, we have things that we call like primary issues and secondary issues. At City Church, we use the language closed-handed, open-handed. And so like when we're talking about the virgin birth, we say that's a closed-handed thing. We're, just, we're not debating that. 
But there's a lot of doctrine that people dive into the scripture and they begin to go, well, I believe it means this and it translates like this, that, we've, that we put into the open-handed area, right? Uh, we don't believe that they are essential for salvation. And, and, and here's the truth is I would venture to say that anybody in here who's a Christian that spends any amount of time uh, in the word, listening to teaching, doing any researching, you're going to develop your own perspectives and your own interpretations of scripture. And the truth is they're not gonna line up verbatim with very many people. And so as Christians, we have to learn how to do life together and we have to learn how to get it wrong and our faith not be completely destroyed. And Peter's getting it wrong here. Peter, he, he doesn't have it right and, and they're thinking to themselves, there's no way that this is going to happen. And then, while they're kicked back and confused, Jesus goes a step further here in verse 31, says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. Can, can you just imagine sitting in the room with Jesus and you're just all like relaxed, everything's been fun, you've seen lots of miracles, you just came from a parade where everybody was like dancing in the street, you know, it's like Jesus and his, and his crew and yeah, we're, we're that group, yeah. and, and then Jesus sits down and is like, hey, Satan wants you. <laughs> what, Jesus? First of all, you tell me that there's suffering coming and now you tell me that that you're having a conversation with Satan and he wants me? He says that Satan's demanded you, right? That he might sift you like wheat. Jesus says, he says, Satan wants to take you and he wants to try your faith. And Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And I, there's just some really good things inside of this. I haven't even gotten to like where I wanna get in just a moment, but I just, I just wanna tell you, like as a Christian, like just like if you have doctrine that's like built around this idea that like you'll never be sifted and tried, like, Jesus did not go, hey, you know what? Satan came and asked us and I told him, there's no high like the most high. You can't touch Peter. That's not what he said. He goes, oh man, I need to start praying for Peter. Sometimes we're gonna walk through it. Now watch this. And he says, and when you turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. That's a bold statement. It's a bold statement. And, and, and can I tell you that if you're ready to go to prison and ready to go to the place of death, there are some actions that will line up with that. It takes more than words and more than broken promises. Now, I wanna pause here for a moment and just something else that was encouraging to me in this is, is, is have you ever made a promise that you didn't keep. This, this last week, I wasn't feeling well. And uh, I, I know that if you don't know, I am not a normal pastor. 
I, I know a lot of guys in America, they love uh, football and golf, and I like Star Wars and comics. And I, I, I don't know how to, how, how to, you know, to fix that for you. Uh, but growing up, uh, I just, my, my mom and dad, and, and maybe they're watching, it's okay. They loved to watch, uh, they loved to play and watch tennis and golf. And it was just super boring for me to sit there. And so I lived inside of my imagination with my Thundercats. And, uh, and so, so at my house, I have uh, a couple hundred uh, Star Wars guys. And they're in cases. And I am nerdy enough that I even have them cataloged in a database. And they're in bins, so I know exactly where they go. And my boys, my younger two, they love to play with them and do war scenes. And they're not allowed to because they get them out and then they leave them out. And then we have this uh, German shepherd in our lives named Riley, uh, who belongs to Isaac, my oldest son. And Riley likes to chew on things. And so there's this tension between the way she enjoys Star Wars and the way that I enjoy Star Wars. And so it's this thing about not touching dad's, uh, dad's uh, action figure collection. It's not toys. And so this last week while I was sick, Zoe uh, came to the door and he said, Dad, I have a question for you. And he was very serious. If you know Zoe, he doesn't get serious very often. He was very serious. And I was like, what? And he said, can I please do a war with, with the Star Wars guys? I promise I'll put them back up. And, and I want to say no. I don't know if you're, if, if, you're, if you're not a parent, maybe this, you don't get this. And if you are a parent, maybe you're just better than I am. But those moments are really hard to say no. Because my kids are really more important than any of those things. And giving them opportunities and memories, it's just more important than my collection. And I said, yes, yes, just put them up when you're done. Promise me you'll put them up. And he promised to put them up. And I got out of bed that night and I got up and I walked out and at the family table were all of my guys and no no Zoe anywhere. Instead, Zoe had moved into his room and was playing video games, Star Wars, at least at that. And he was in there and he was yelling uh, Imperial scum at the TV. <laughs> and, uh, and so I thought to myself when he yelled that, I thought, you're the Imperial scum. And I asked Carmen, I said, Why, what is Zoe doing? And she said, he's playing video games. And I said, but he promised that he would put these things up. And she goes, what are you doing? I turned around, I walked and went back to bed, right? Because I didn't feel good. And I knew nothing that I was going to say was going to be, I was going to, I was going to have to repent, right? <laughs> can, can I tell you something like, the, you know, the adage is like, if you're an alcoholic, don't go to a bar. You know what I'm saying? It's the idea is if you know that you're about to sin and you can walk away, walk away sometimes, right? And that can happen even as a dad. Again, maybe I'm just different and you're better than me, but there are moments where I go, if I deal with this right now, if, if we try to bring this to, a, I will sin 
There will not be good things that come from this. And sometimes I just turn around and walk away and I'll, I'll handle this one later when I've got my, my center of gravity back, literally, as I stumbled to the bed. And of course, mom is out there having the conversation and she asks Zoe, why did you not put these up? And I'm gonna tell you something about Zoe. Zoe will be, he is the most honest kid and he does not care about your feelings. She said, why did you not put them up? He said, because I did not want to. <laughs> and she said, but you promised dad that you would. And he said, yes, but I wanted to play video games and not put them up, right? Can, can I tell you something today? I still love Zoe. <laughs> He's not allowed to play with those guys, my action figures right now, but I still love him. Do, do, do you know that Jesus still loves you, Right? When you have made a promise and you've said, I will, not, I, will, I will die before I do this, right? That in the midst of your rejection and failure, he doesn't give up on you. Now watch what he does instead. Watch what happens, right? So there's broken promises here. And, and, then, and then Peter, uh, it says right here in Luke 22, verse 34. And this verse just strikes me as so odd. Because Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. And Jesus is sitting here and everything's cool. It's super chill. Everybody's having a good time. Peter says, no, nah, I'll, I'll, I'll die with you if that's what we need, right? Because to be honest, dying with Jesus sounds pretty safe. We, we were talking about sharks the other day in the house and you know, you get that conversation started and then you're trying to diffuse the conversation with your kids. And one of my kids told me, I don't even know if this is true, that more people die uh, on the toilet than from shark attacks. <laughs> and I asked Caitlin, I said, which, which would you rather have happen then? <laughs> would you rather die from some toilet-related accident <laughs> or from a shark. And you know what she said? A shark. I said, Caitlin, are you crazy? Like, I, I cannot imagine, like, what a, sh what, I, I, I can't imagine what a toilet would do to me. I can imagine <laughs> what a shark would do to me, and I am not okay with that. And she says, yes, but then forever. Everybody says, a toilet got them. <laughs> and there's just something more epic about a shark getting you. And I was like, I like the way you think, right? Can I tell you, if we're going to talk about going to death, I, I would say that dying beside Jesus is probably an all right way to go. To be in the, the comfort and safety of the Messiah, yeah. Like on, on my list of ways to go, number one, Jesus returns. Number two, he holds my hand while I die, right? And then we can get to toilets and sharks and all these other things that could happen. And Jesus says, no, you're, you're gonna deny me. This is, this is gonna happen. And, and is this because he's speaking some type of death over Peter? It's not. You see, there's something, there's a flaw in Peter's faith that Jesus recognizes. He recognizes that there's a flaw in Peter's faith. So, okay, 
track with me here, and I promise I'm, I'm going to get you guys out of here on time. I know we got Easter hams and stuff to go eat. Bear with me here. It's only 11.38. See, I have the clock on two TVs in front of me right now. They doubled it today, all right? Okay, Peter has an experience where he experiences something miraculous that can only be defined as supernatural. He sees Jesus as being the source of it. He says, I'm a sinner. I am not worthy. He is saved in that moment. Jesus says, follow me. The way that he follows him is he literally goes where Jesus goes. And Jesus is performing miracle after miracle. He's investing in people and, pe- and Peter is watching this happen. And Peter is a part of the group. He's on the, he's on the inside. And here he is now coming out of this triumphant entry, right? This moment of excitement. And Jesus says, you're gonna deny me three times. And at this moment, Peter moves from being comfortable to uncomfortable as any of us would. And I think that this happens in our faith, that we have this salvation moment. And if you're not saved in here today, I'll talk to you about that in a moment. But too many Christians have an amazing encounter where something stirs so deep inside of them. That's what happens is something happens deep inside of you and, you and you realize like, I cannot be alone in this universe. There's no way this happened by, by on, on accident. There has to be a creator. My, my, my soul deep inside of me is declaring Jesus to be the son of God, the king of kings. And, the, and something happens. There's a miracle, whether it happens deep inside of us or right in front of our eyes. And we say, I need you, I want you and we're on fire and we're going to Bible studies, small groups, we're showing up at church. And, but that, that momentum, it begins, to, something happens and, and too many people begin to lose the momentum and, 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 and the faithfulness to the, to the traditions that God set in place. They begin to suffer. And, and then all of a sudden we become the types of Christians who say, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. I, I believe that Jesus is alive. I, I'll, I'll believe that, right? And somehow for Peter, it's not enough. And Jesus says, you're gonna deny me and it's uncomfortable. And watch what he does here. It says in, in verse 54, then they seized him speaking to Jesus and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And watch this. And Peter was following at a distance. And, and I think to myself, like, how many times have I followed God at a distance because I've become disenchanted? How many times has it been uncomfortable? How many times in my faith, right, as a Christian, have I been at a place where, where it's just easier to be a Christian at a distance than it is to go and stand in the high priest's home? And so from a distance, Peter is watching. Peter's faith is existing. It's here at a distance that we clearly see that there is apathy inside of him. Can 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 I tell you, apathy in your relationship with God is not determined by... Uh, 
whether or not you show up at church. Now, I don't want to hurt your feelings. I'm really glad that you're here. This isn't to shame you, but being at church is, is not like the mark of there not being apathy between you and the Savior. The real determining factor is, is when it's uncomfortable. That, that's, that's, that's the real mark. And Peter is struggling with this. Like too many of us, like I have myself in my own life. And so at this position, somebody says, hey, you're, you're, uh, you're one of the followers, aren't you? And the scripture says that Peter says immediately, no, 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 you got, you got the wrong guy. And then a second time, same thing. No, 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 you got the wrong person. That's not me, right? And then there's a third time he denies him. And it says that right then the rooster crows. That, that he is able to, in that moment, he makes direct eye contact with Jesus. And watch what he does. It says here in verse 62, and he went out and wept bitterly. This is, this is, the, this is, this is a good thing, right? Guilt is not something that uh, that as, as believers, we should allow to define us, right? But when guilt rears its head, when it comes to our relationship with God, that's a good sign because what it means is that we understand enough about our Savior that we know when we've failed. When the rooster crowed, Peter got it. He was like, ah! And maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe what's happened in your life is that you've become complacent. You've walked into this position of apathy in your relationship with God and you moved from like that miraculous moment and yes, I'm a believer to where you're like, I'm not denying Jesus, right? But, but I've got a life to live and I've got things to do. And, and then all of a sudden you discover you're making decisions about the way you do life and one day you wake up and go, whoa, I'm, I'm in some tremendous sin. And this isn't okay. And this is your moment where you begin to weep. And maybe that happens at an altar like this. Or maybe it happens when you are all alone, laying in your bed before God and you're weeping. God, why am I here? How did this happen? I, I, I've declared my faith and yet all I do is deny you. All I do is walk right back into sin. All I do is go back to these stupid decisions. I know better. And Peter's just, this is just, this is just a tough moment for him, right? The amount of guilt that, he, that he's experiencing. And let me tell you something that happens for Peter. Peter has this guilt and he has to navigate this guilt while they beat Jesus. The cat of nine tails that comes and strikes Jesus does so in a fashion that I've just, I've heard it described so many times as, as just removing the flesh from his back, even down to the, the way that he would have been laid out, his, the soles of his feet would have been exposed and, and that the, even the flesh on the bottoms of his feet would have been gone. It is this type of beating that then they take and lay a cross on top of his wounded body at the point of just 
totally breaking and say, carry this to the place where we're gonna nail you to it. And that's what they do. They nail Jesus up. And in the midst of this, from a distance, Peter is weeping bitterly. Jesus dies. And in that moment, signs and wonders take place. The miraculous is still happening around Peter, right? And they take Jesus off the cross and they go, they bury him. And I think those words are probably just ringing in Peter's ears. Like after you do this, you need to rally the brothers and the sisters. You need to be strong for them because in the midst of this, bad things are gonna happen. There's gonna be suffering. So you're gonna have to learn how to navigate the guilt for the, the little, the gaps in your own faith at the exact same time that you're having to wrestle and navigate suffering. Now, let me tell you something. The word gives us a little bit of insight. You see, Peter, he gets to see the resurrection. He knows about the empty tomb. On no less than two occasions before this moment, okay? I mean, I mean no less than two occasions after the resurrection, he personally interacts with Jesus. And then we come to John 21. And this is, this is where my mind just begins to just, 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 relate in such a way that's so heavy and it's it's just I'm it says this it says after this Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias and he revealed himself in this way and watch here Simon Peter Thomas called the twin Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together so Jesus is, is revealing himself to this, this group of disciples. And then it says here in verse three, Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. So I looked this up and, and this is what commentators say, is that this isn't just like, hey, I've got nothing to do. I'm gonna go fishing or I need a little bit of food. I'm gonna go fishing. This language here for Peter was, this is my place. Like, I felt like I had a call to the ministry. I felt like God was gonna use me. I stood there, I saw what Jesus did, but I've just got too many issues. And so that thing that I thought was my calling, I'm, it's off and, and, and I'm, gonna go, I'm gonna go back here and I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go fish. I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna go back to my lifestyle. And what does he say on his way, right? He says, I believe that Jesus is the son of God. I believe now that he was dead, buried, and resurrected. I believe he's the only hope of humanity. None of the language and confession that will come from Peter's mouth is wrong. His actions, though, are out of line with the purpose God had for him. And so in this place, having seen the resurrection, he is still defeated and the scripture says that he goes out to fish. And they say, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, 
But that night they caught nothing. Very similar in nature to where our story began. Peter out fishing and not catching anything. In fact, this time, Jesus gives them similar instruction because he shows up. And they're not surprised. The resurrection's already happened a couple of days before this. They've already had interaction, and here's Jesus. And he says, I want you to cast your nets out on the other side. And sure enough, what happens is a miracle takes place. But Peter doesn't have the same reaction that he did before. Can I tell you how many Christians have incredible encounters with God in a moment of miracle and 10 years later they can stand in the midst of the same type of miracle and be complacent yeah I've seen God do that oh there's no doubt that's that's my God that's the way he does things I've got to get up early because I've got work tomorrow I've got I've got to be somewhere I've got I've got other things that I've got to do but but he's good and you should know him let me let me tell you about my church you know, uh, you, you should come with me on Sunday. We don't see this constant denying through his words, but his actions take him out there. This word nihilism, it, its definition is the rejection of all religious and moral principles in the belief that life is meaningless. This is something that's interesting to me because this whole idea, nihilism, it's a probably the most popular form of atheism in, in our nation right now is that, you know, that life is meaningless. It, the, 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 the guy that formulated this, I'm not going to spend much time here, he did so because he said, how ridiculous is it that Christians believe in a different realm, right? This heavenly realm. That's ridiculous. Science proves that there's no other realm, right? And so in the 1800s, this ideology is birthed. It's the most popular form of atheism in the world today because it's very comfortable and easy. And now science is coming around saying, no, there's not just one dimension or realm. There's at least five around us. We don't know how to access that, but something is happening in a way that we can't see. It's commonly accepted science. And so the very foundation of this ideology is undone. And yet I would argue that this is probably a really pervasive spirit in our churches. It is what it is. Yeah, I believe Jesus. I'm not going to go so far as to deny him, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I got this. I'm a believer, but I've got other things to do right now. This is really a, a, hard, a hard text, and it's very comfortable for Peter because he feels justified in it. Now, watch what happens here uh, in John 21. We're going to just move forward real quick. Verse 15, it says that when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Still spending time with Jesus, he says, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs, okay? He goes on, verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Now I've heard this talk 
taught before, and, and, and pastors have made reference to the fact that when Jesus says, do you love me, he's talking about one type of love, and when Peter responds, he's talking about a different type of love, and I, I get it, and that's good, but something really just came alive in this concept for me, because what Jesus says is he talks about this agape, it's this unconditional, limitless love. Do you love me without limits? And Peter says, I love you, this filio love, which is this brotherly love. Like, I love you like a best friend. So Jesus says, do you love me without limits? And Peter says, I love you like a brother, like my best friend. I'm so close to you. Okay, feed my sheep. But do, do you love me with unlimited love? He says, Jesus, I love you like, like the closest friend that I've ever had. And so I started reading and commentators say that what was happening here is Peter was fishing for something. You see, Peter thought that his sin may not have driven him out of eternity, but it cost him his relationship. And he's trying to connect and say, Jesus, we were kicked back at the table. Things were really chill. We were friends. Are we still friends? And so Jesus says to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? But this time Jesus says, do you love me like your closest friend? He changes this one simple word here. And look at this, Peter was grieved because it's like, that's what I've been saying is that's how I love you. How can you ask this? And he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now watch what happens in these next couple of verses because something's about to happen for Peter. Something's about to transform in his life. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Peter understood that what Jesus was communicating right here was you're gonna be crucified. The cost for following me is going to be great. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Follow me. Our story begins with follow me. And a man who has an encounter with Jesus on the beach says, I'm in, let's go. But what happens is he relies entirely on other people to walk with power and authority. And because he doesn't have any power and authority in his own life, he does not know how to say the tough things in tough situations. Our real glimpse, my final glimpse that happens in the verses after this, I don't have them on the screen, but, but Peter, it says that they were walking and he turns and he sees John, the disciple that Jesus loved. And he says, what about him, right? You're telling me how I'm gonna die I got you, how's he gonna die? And Jesus' response was, hey, if I want him to live forever, he'll live forever. You need to follow me where I'm leading you. 
This is, this is it right here. This was the difference. Peter was okay with dying with Jesus, but it wasn't until he was okay to die for Jesus that his life transformed. It's one thing to die with the Messiah. It's a different thing to be willing to die for the Messiah. Why would Peter deny him? Human nature. They're about to beat this man. They're gonna kill him. And they're looking for anybody that they can take down with him. It's way easier, way more comfortable to say, no, 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 I'm not with them. It's way easier to stand in a room full of people who are mocking the faith, talking about why they they aren't believers and how this Jesus thing is nonsense. Isaac and I were talking about it the other day uh, about the fact that people go, well, I just, I can't believe in Christianity because if Jesus, people just don't come back from the dead. And Isaac said, that's why it's a miracle. He said, if Jesus did what every other man do, he wouldn't have been Jesus. And you're absolutely right. None of us can do it. You see, what happened is when we're born with sin in our lives, death has a, it has a ransom on us. It has a hold on us. It claims us. It is, we are His. And because Jesus lived life without sin, when he died and death said, yes, I've got him, it turned out he did not have a claim to him. So what did death have to do? Death had to give him back. He had to give him back. That's the invitation. The invitation to follow Jesus was not one to follow him and go and do the fun things and be a part of the miracles. No, in fact, Jesus had been saying this. When when you go over to Matthew uh, 16, before we ever even get into Jerusalem, what does he tell them? He says, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He had been saying it all along. He had been saying this, that the power of the resurrection is found in the fact that you will die. So what will you die for? Will you live your life unashamed because death because you are death's master or will you live your life as if death is your master? Peter, at a distance, denying Christ, death was his master. I'm afraid of what they will say. I am afraid of what would happen to me. What if I lose everything? What if I lose my job, right? What what, what if I end up in prison? What if I end up losing my life? in that moment where he understood that death was now subject to him because of the power and authority given to him from the resurrection from Jesus 
It changed everything. And that timid Peter that we had seen who got things wrong and denied Christ, we move over into Acts chapter two and he stands up when there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, preaching the gospel in such a way that the church is founded that day. Thousands of people come to know Jesus, right? He goes into the next chapter, Acts chapter three. He's walking by a crippled man and the man's like, give me some money. He says, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you now freely. Arise and walk. And a crippled man stands up and walks. And this becomes the, the, the fruit of the, of the promise that Jesus said that the power will reside in you and you will see even greater things happen among you. Why? Because I'm going to the right hand of the Father because death does not own me because I am set free and my power and my authority will rest and reside for those who will receive it and will be the masters of death. But as long as death owns you, as long as you're afraid of what somebody else will say, you will continue to come back to the place of weeping bitterly. Not because you don't believe, but because you're afraid. Acts chapter four, they arrest him. Why? Because he's proclaiming resurrection. Don't talk about this. Don't talk about that empty tomb. We don't know why the tomb was empty, but it's not because he's alive. And if people think that he's alive, it's gonna give them hope and we don't want them to have hope. And they tell him, we'll let you out of prison if you promise to stop preaching resurrection. Peter says, no deal, no deal. I'm not afraid of you because I'm not afraid of death because I am death's master. Death is not my master. You know, he gets out of prison, Acts chapter five. People just wanna be in his shadow because the anointing of God is so heavy on this man. Listen, I'm, I can't make promises for you that you're going to uh, step into this and and this is gonna be you, you're gonna walk with this type of miracle healing ministry in your life. But I can tell you this, you will walk with fullness and with purpose and meaning in your life when you stop being intimidated to share the gospel. Because I'm gonna tell you, if you don't share the gospel, they won't know. And the church today has become so afraid of sharing the gospel that as Christians, our testimony is this. I don't know how they'll accept Jesus and I just don't want to lose my voice with them so I'm just not ready to talk about my faith. That timidness was the gap in Peter's faith. And it was why Jesus was able to go, no worries. I, I know, I know you're gonna deny me. I'm not done with you. I'm still praying because if just one of you, if just one of you will decide guilt and shame will not rule me, I will rule them. Death will not be my master. I will be death's master. The world can be transformed. And you want to tell you something, the faith of Peter and those men and women who bought into that, they changed the world. This morning in the news, six churches, some meeting in hotels in Sri Lanka were bombed. 
death tolls at 200 right now, just before I started preaching. How many, how many people do you think this morning or even this week said, I, I don't know if I'm gonna go to church this week. It's kind of dangerous, the climate we live in. How many people do you think that was a conversation for? Don't let death intimidate you. Death does not own you if you're a child of God. Let's stand to our feet.